Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who has spoken uh, and you speak through your word and we pray that as we read it uh, now and hear it read and and hear it explained, uh, we pray that you would change us by it uh, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The reading, as we've been told, is from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So what does he he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended, and higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim. Get my... There we go. (laughs) How's that? We on? Okay. How about we um, pray together, friends, and... Uh, before we look at God's word. Uh, Great Father, we do praise you for your word. We thank you for the incredible truths that it declares to us about who Jesus is, about who we are in him. We thank you for this opportunity to hear from the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Ephesians. We, We pray now, Father, that you would help us in all our distractions, our weakness, Uh, even our sin, our blindness. Um, Lord, please help us 
to hear your voice, uh, to hear it clearly uh, in your word today and to, match our, to line up our lives in line with it. We thank you uh, for all that you have done among us and we pray that you'll continue to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, one of, the, one of my happy memories from childhood is spending many hours uh, in my parents' house reading the Asterix comics. Have you ever, you know, the Asterix comics? My dad had the whole set, okay, every, all, or every single one of them. He got them as a child, and that was one of those sort of fairly, you know, I think my, you know, when it t- comes time for them to be passed on, my siblings and I will have a bit of a fight over it. No, who gets the Asterix comics. So they're, they're such a big feature of our life. Uh, uh, growing up. Uh, one, of the, um, one scene that stuck with me is from when Asterix and Oblix go to join the Roman army. I don't know if you remember. that they, they go to join the Roman army, which is sort of funny in itself because the, the fight between the Romans and the Gauls and all of that. But uh, uh, in this scene, it's sort of always stuck with me. There's this guy, I don't know if you can see him in the middle there. He's this massive, massive guy with this huge coat on, uh, he's taller than everyone else and just about as big as Oblix. So, you know, he's, he's just this huge, massive guy. And during the um, sign-up process, they had to have a physical examination. If you've read the story, you probably know what's coming next. They had to have this physical examination to test if they were good enough to go in the army. And then the next scene comes out like this. Uh, and you see inside this huge coat, there's this tiny, weedy skin. He said, the, the writing says, too skinny for a legionary, he said. I don't make the weight, he said. Uh, to this mismatch between, yeah, this guy really needs to hit the gym, right, and do some, do some bodybuilding, build his muscles up. There's something funny, isn't there, about kind of expecting one thing uh, but, and uh, getting something entirely, uh, entirely different. In this case, this guy's body. Uh, a few years ago, there was a bit of an internet craze that went around. Maybe you saw some of it. It's called face swapping. Uh, you edit a photo of, uh, in this case, of, I'll show you some photos of a parent and their baby, and you swap their faces. And it's sort of this craze that went around. It's um, absolutely sort of hilarious. Uh, and uh, you can see as you go on that it's just, uh, re- the results are absolutely hilarious. <laughs> uh, I like this one. <laughs> swapping, the, swapping the face for, there we go. And there's granddad and his, uh, and his grandchild. Uh, the results are hilarious, but in both the sort of Asterix comic and these photos, it's the same sort of thing, right? You expect one thing and you find something totally different, a body that doesn't match the expectation. In this case, the, uh, the, the head, uh, the body doesn't match the head, right? Uh, it's, but it's one thing, isn't it, when it's a, you know, a comic or uh, something has been photoshopped like this. Uh, it's one thing and that's pretty, pretty funny. Uh, but the reason... It's funny, particularly this face swap one, right? It's, the reason it's funny is because it's so unthinkable, right? To have a mature head and a baby's body. A mature head and a baby's body, it's so unthinkable. And it's something like this image. It's a bit of a bizarre image, isn't it? But it's something like this image that Paul kind of plays on here in Ephesians 4 uh, when he talks about the church. You see, on one level, he has painted for us the most incredible, exalted picture of what the church is, hasn't he? If you were here last week, just astounding the way Paul describes the church. The body, he describes Jesus as the centre of all history, the one for whom everything was created. The church uh, as that gathering of people in him under his lordship, which is his body, 
so intimately connected to him that Paul calls the church the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, we, we read that last week. Uh, that's in Ephesians 1, the end of that chapter. And then uh, if you were uh, sort of uh, reading along when we read this passage earlier, it's the same sort of thing that Paul talks about here in Ephesians 4, this incredible image of the church, the glorious body, uh, swept, this body swept up into the eternal purposes of God, with Jesus at the centre of all God's plans and the purposes in the world, and the church as his body, this incredible, incredible thing. Uh, There is one body and one spirit, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You you just couldn't get any bigger for what Paul is talking about here. This gathering of people in Christ under his lordship at the centre of all that God is doing in the world. Not for their own sake, not for their own uh, goodness, not for their own merit, but all because of their wonderful and glorious Head the Lord Jesus. It is a wonderful picture. Um, but as we sort of read through Ephesians 4, and really the first three chapters of Ephesians has been sort of filling out this, what it looks like for the church to be this incredible united gathering of people in Christ that transcends all other barriers and cultures and uh, that draws people together not because of their common interest or common background or common culture but because of their faith in Jesus and that alone. Incredible picture. But then we, when we come to Ephesians 4, Paul knows that there's something else going on, another, alongside this glorious reality of what the church is, alongside this, another reality that he needs to talk about. See, the glory of this body is not its own glory. It's not uh, a glory that it has in and of itself, because it is beautiful. It is a glory and a beauty that's given to it because of its head, because of Jesus, the glorious one, the king of creation. We are his. We are his body. But Paul knows it's not the end of the story. And so, so having sort of said all that, it's a bit of a shock when you come to uh, chapter 4 and uh, you get this passage here uh, in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, and we read it before. Uh, I'll just read it through again. Oh, if... Uh, Oh, it's on, okay, uh, it's on uh, a setting which makes the screens, the slides go through automatically. Well, uh, can you work on, um, thanks, mate, fixing that up. Um, but if you just ignore the screen, if it keeps moving around. <laughs> uh, look at your Bibles, though, that's probably going to be more helpful. Uh, chapter 4, verse 14, you might see it there. Um, there's this bit of a shock that Paul, having described the church in these incredible terms, then says in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth, here, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. There's this uh, sort of mismatch, isn't there, between the glorious body uh, that Paul describes in chapter 1 through to even the start of this chapter and this other reality that's going on where he says, well, in some sense, in some other way, that they're actually, they've got a babyish body. Uh, in general, small children are held up as a model for Jesus' people, right? You'll be maybe familiar with what Jesus says about kids. Uh, he says, The kingdom of God belongs to such as those in their, in their childlike trust of their father, in their readiness to receive and not always have to work and contribute. So kids sort of in general are seen as really a model for what it looks like to 
the, um, in God's kingdom. But in this sense, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4, they're not at all what Jesus' people should be like. Uh, infants tossed back and forth, unstable, insecure, flip-flopping from one thing to the next. It's really a kind of a, a brilliant analogy that Paul uses, right? If you've been around young kids at all, you'll know what, what a great image this is. You know, all sweetness and light in one moment. And then the next moment, the house is in chaos and there's all, you know, uh, it's terror and tearing the house apart. Sort of this flip, you know, a, a kind of flip-flopping from one thing to any, a kind of instability. And that's what Paul has in mind here where he talks about this babyish body. Uh, when Paul looks at the church in Ephesus, he sees this mismatch between its glorious head and the, the babyish body. Uh, it is glorious because of their head, but it's babyish. They're immature. Their body doesn't match their head. And that's what Paul's going to talk about here is how to help this body grow, how to feed and build up and train this body, uh, how this gap between the head and the body can start to close. See, it's one thing um, uh, to have a baby's body if you're a baby, and that's totally appropriate. Um, uh, but uh, for a body that is growing... You see the hope that Paul has for this body in verse 15. If you've got your Bibles there, that would be really helpful. Verse 15, uh, he's talked about this reality, this babyish body, but then he says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So that's what Paul's on about in this passage and as Steve mentioned earlier we're talking uh, over the next few weeks about what it looks like for us to be church together uh, and one of the, uh, the key things we're talking about is this growing up, growing up in maturity, in love for God, in maturity in Christ. Next week we're looking at different relationships, growing out in love for the world and, and in a few weeks time growing in love for each other uh, but growing up in maturity, here we go, I think we're, we're on, great, thanks guys. Um, growing up in maturity in Christ. And that's what's behind verses 7 to 10 there. Uh, the bodybuilding body, okay? So we've got the glorious body, the reality in Christ, the, the babyish body, this sort of uh, bizarre mismatch between the real, the, the, who the head is and the immaturity of the body. Uh, but then the bodybuilding body, what is it uh, that Paul sees is going to happen? Uh, uh, that's what's behind verse 7 to 10. It's kind of strange verses in a way. Uh, if, let's read um, again, have, have your Bibles there, from verse 7. Uh, with all that in mind, this is Paul's goal, right? To see this body brought to maturity and built up, not be the babyish body, but to, um, to honour its head and to grow in line with the reality of who Christ is. Then he, Paul says, but to, for verse 7, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Uh, it's on one level a bit of a hard few verses to get your head around what's going on here. It's a quote from Psalm 68. So if you've got a footnote in your Bible, you'll probably see that. It's a quote from this Psalm 68, which is, this incredible psalm that's full of really vivid imagery about God as the victorious king come to save his people, this victorious king uh, that the Lord is. And in this psalm, uh, that's where this sort of quote comes from. And Paul says that's Jesus. 
Jesus is this is God, the victorious King, come to save His people. He's the great victor. He's the one who, in His resurrection, we read in chapter one, is victorious over every rule and authority and power and dominion. And like a king returning to his people after a great victory, that's the kind of image in mind here, uh, Jesus gives gifts to his people. He sort of throws out the spoils from his victory. He gives gifts to his people. And he says in verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's a number of um, things going on here, a number of people that are mentioned that Christ gives to his church. Um, there's some disagreement over who these are, especially uh, the mention of prophets there. There's lots of sort of talk about what Paul means there. To my mind, the strongest reading is to see how uh, all through Ephesians, Paul groups these two um, people together, the prophets and the apostles. He sort of groups them together, sees them as one kind of grouping. Back in 2.20, really um, significant verse, he's also talking about the church, chapter 2, verse 20, which he says is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. And then in 3, verse 5, um, uh, he talks about the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Uh, the apostles were the eyewitnesses of Jesus and his death and resurrection who were given authority to take the message of Jesus, uh, to teach it and sort of deliver it with authority um, given, by those, given by Christ. And prophets... Uh, who were given particular insight by God to understand and to teach this gospel, who these, this group together who laid the foundation for the church. So it seems to me that apostles and prophets, as Paul is using the words here, he may use them differently elsewhere, but as the, he's using them here, are one-off foundational witnesses to the gospel. They continue to be God's gifts to his church throughout the church's life, in the pages of the New Testament. That is the foundational account of this message which Jesus uses to build up his body. Um, different takes on, on that, but that's sort of my reading. Uh, then, then we have the, this evangelists, uh, this group called the evangelists, those who take this message that was laid down by the apostles and prophets, they take it uh, to new places, they take it around uh, to new places all around. And, and then in each local sort of place where new gatherings are, are started uh, by this word, uh, he talks about pastors and teachers, or uh, the way it's written really sort of uh, is likely to mean one, this is a way of referring to one sort of person, uh, a pastor who pastors by teaching, if that makes sense, so a pastor teacher uh, who helps grow the body by teaching. Local leaders who continually teach this same message that was laid down by the apostles and prophets and carried out by evangelists. I think that's the sort of flow that's in view here, Does that, if, if, if that sort of makes sense, the, the, the authoritative witness to the gospel carried out by evangelists across the world and in each local place um, continued to be taught and proclaimed by pastors and teachers. That's, I think, what Paul has 
in mind here. The victorious head, and it's that same flow uh, that uh, we see here. And the key thing, friends, here, I think, is this. Uh, Each of these people that Paul mentions, uh, they are not people who are impressive of themselves. They are not charismatic leaders who just have the gift of the gab and tell everyone what to think. All of these gifts are given by the risen Christ to grow his body. They're all about the word. They're all about the message, the word of the gospel. They're all about the word. They're nobodies in themselves. They're just passing on a message. They're just messengers. And on, they're passing on this same incredible word about Jesus. And Paul says, Christ's body gets built up and trained by that word. That word about who Jesus is and what he has done and the implications of that for the whole world. Okay, uh, the victorious head gives gifts to his body. Uh, how does this body grow, though? Well, uh, if you see in verse 12, these messengers are given to, to equip the body, to train it, is sort of the, the meaning, to you know, take it to the gym, maybe. Uh, so, so it would be built up. Um, there's another little bit there, which we'll get to in a second. But then down in verse 15, uh, it talks about this body speaking the truth to one another. Um, so it's not simply uh, the, the people mentioned before, but this includes everyone speaking this same word, this same message of truth to one another. Uh, this time, not only, yeah, uh, all of us speaking, uh, that is what will grow us, trained by this word of truth. And friends, I just want to spend a bit of time here. We'll go a bit quicker over the others, but I think this is just incredibly important, um, this, uh, what Paul talks about here, being trained by built up by this word. Uh, it's not saying, it's not saying churches for wordy people, okay? It's not saying that you've got to be really smart to grow as a Christian. That's not what it's, it's not that kind of word that's in view here. I think what it's, what the picture that we get here is that our life, our life comes not from something that we generate inside ourselves. Our life comes from outside of us. It's not something that we muster up ourselves, something that we try and do. We are grown and sustained as a church, as Christians, by a word that comes to us, a word that comes to us in the gospel, the word of truth, what Paul says earlier in his letter, the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. Um, The great reformer Martin Luther said, uh, this, this is, uh, he's sort of mixing his metaphor with what we're saying. So anyway, you'll, you'll get the picture once, once I read it. But um, he uses the idea of body parts differently to what Paul's saying. But it's a great quote. Okay. He says, uh, if you ask a Christian what the work is by which he becomes worthy of the name Christian, he will be able to give absolutely no other answer than that it is hearing of the word of God. That is faith. Therefore... The ears alone are the organ of a Christian, for he is justified and declared to be a Christian, not by the works of any member, but because of faith. See what Luther's saying there? He's not saying, like, like you know, there's another way that Paul talks about the body. We all have our own roles to play. That's, he's not saying that we're all ears in that sense. But 
He's, he's, he's getting to this, uh, what I think Paul is saying here, this, that our life, our life is the word of God, the gospel. The ears alone are the organ of a Christian. Uh, and if you're a proud person, you won't like this, which is another way of saying none of us like this. Uh, we all want to put our worth and significance in something that we do, something that is about us. But the Christian life, life in this body, is all about hearing the word about what has been done in Christ, what has been done in his death and his resurrection. It is all about living in the gospel. The word that the apostles and prophets laid down for us and we read in the Bible the word that was taken out and proclaimed by evangelists across the world. The same word that in local gatherings is taught by pastors. That word, that word is our food, our sustenance. We have no life without it and it's through that word that Jesus builds his body to maturity. Builds his body to maturity. Just a, a kind of side note that's related to this. Uh, that's why here at Trinity South Coast we do things the way we do. There's, we could do lots of things uh, and churches can um, sort of invest their time and energy and uh, the gatherings into lots of different things. But this, friends, is our focus, our, our driving desire to hear the word of the gospel. It is our life. We try and make each of our gatherings sort of shaped by it um, as, uh, sort of, uh, as we approach the hearing of God's word and we, and we talk about it together and it's proclaimed as we respond to God's word afterwards and we're sent out by it. That's, uh, that's sort of the logic behind our gatherings together. It's also what's driving us in our home groups uh, as we meet together, letting this word live in us and sink deeply into us, not just be something that we sort of talk about once and forget, but in our home groups to spend that extra time in smaller communities, letting this word sink deeply into us. Not a chance, uh, yeah, and those opportunities are not chances for anyone just to tell what we think, but an opportunity for us to listen, opportunities for us to hear, to exercise the one organ of the Christian life, the ear, um, to hear the living word and let it shape us. The body grows as it's trained by this word of truth, the gospel of our salvation that we access through the scriptures um, and that we... In, in, and the next, book, uh, next sort of thing on your outline there, if you've got it though, uh, but Paul points out is this is all in the context of a, a united and loving community. It's all in community. We're going to uh, spend a whole week talking about this in two weeks' time, so we won't spend lots of time uh, right here today thinking about this. Uh, but it's so clear here, isn't it? One body, all the way through the start of this chapter, one body, un uh, uh, it's a unity that we don't create. It's a unity that is created, that is given to us, that we are already united in Christ. It's a reality, and all those who have faith in this one Lord are members of this one body. Uh, and it dishonours our glorious head to treat others in this one body in any way other than with what Paul talks about with humility, gentleness, patience, love, eager to maintain the unity that is already there in Christ. Down in verse 15, we already talked about uh, this community that speaks this word to each other, <laughs> uh, this word of life to each other. 
So we are trained by the word of truth in loving, united community. There goes our sign. Uh, as we serve each other, as we serve each other, and uh, I did skip over something, did, if you noticed, in verse 12 there. Uh, this word comes to um, the body of Christ. Uh, so that to equip the saints, the people, he equip his people for works of service so that the body might be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Uh, the word of truth in loving community as we serve each other. Uh, it shapes our relationships into concrete, real works of service. And the, the thing I just really wanted to point out here is that uh, for Paul, there is no two-tiered church, although he does see uh, some people as having a particular sort of role within the church community. Um, all of those in Christ's body are ministers. The, the, the word here, to equip his people for works of service, that's just another way of saying works of ministry. It's exactly the same word. All of us minister, we serve each other. We serve each other. Uh, there is no... Uh, two-tiered sort of hierarchy of some who are extra special and others who are not. We all have responsibility to set apart and faithfully pass on and teach and uh, work and serve each other so that this word might continue to dwell in us and shape us. And just lastly, so how does this body grow? Uh, trained by the word of truth in loving, united community as we serve each other and as we live holy lives. Did you notice how Paul starts this whole section, as a prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. After Paul's talked about, he's sort of talked here about the way Christ grows his body through his word in community as we serve each other. From this point on in Ephesians, in this book, from chapter 4, uh, from verse 17 onwards, uh, he talks about the very concrete reality of how you live your life, of, of how you live uh, all, every aspect of your life under this lordship of Christ. Uh, the effect of this word shapes everything, not only serving each other, but bringing every part of our lives under Christ. Okay. Well, friends, um, that's sort of, uh, there's just, uh, again, with all these parts of particularly Paul's letters, there's so much in there, right? Um, but this is Paul's uh, under, it is his really wonderful image, isn't it? The glorious body that is ours, that is ours by faith alone. Uh, there's no insecurity about that. But the reality of our own immaturity as the body and the way Christ uh, gifts his church to grow it into the maturity of Christ as his word comes to us as we serve each other, as we speak that word to each other, to build each other up. And friends, uh, just, uh, just to sort of uh, finish up, I think this is just so critical for today, this whole concept of maturity and growing up uh, in maturity in Christ. We live in a culture, it seems to me, that often celebrates immaturity. <laughs> uh, we, we celebrate immaturity. We, um, I'm 34 at the moment, uh, at which point everyone says, oh, what a young spring chicken, you know. Uh, but... Isn't it a, it's, a, it's a bit of a bizarre moment in history, isn't it, when a 34-year-old can even be thought of like that? Oh, it's, it's just, uh, I want to introduce this guy to you. Um, oh, there he is. Uh, this is uh, St. Athanasius. 
one of the early church fathers. Uh, one of the, he wrote one of the most substantial and influential and wonderful books of theology ever written. It was called On the Incarnation. And I was, I was flabbergasted when I found this out. He wrote it when he was 21. It's still being studied and read today. He was a 21-year-old, okay? And he went on to be Bishop of Alexandria and uh, very influential in the early debates of church, in church history. Incredible guy. Not to mention the fact that our Lord died for the sins of the world, age 33. Uh, it's just, isn't it just worth questioning our assumptions about growing up for ourselves and more generally in our culture? Um, we want to take this seriously, not only for those reasons, but also uh, in a culture that, uh, like I said, celebrates immaturity and is increasingly hostile, not just sort of doesn't care about Christianity, but hostile to it. This is a critical thing for us. Friends, just, just to draw things together, I, uh, well, I'm going to say that two more times. So that's one of these preachers' things, right? They say, to finish, and then they go on for 10, 20 minutes. It won't be that bad, I promise. But to draw, try and draw things together, um, two things I think for us are key uh, for ourselves to grow, to, to grow to maturity. And the first, it seems to me, that Paul is saying here is to know your own immaturity. Now, isn't it striking? I mean, uh, it is wonderful, uh, really encouraging to, to hear those, isn't it just great to hear those stories about God building us and growing us? But it's so striking in verse, where is it? Verse 14. Do you notice this? Paul says, then we will no longer be infants. That is to say, the Apostle Paul includes himself in this group. And if the Apostle considers himself an infant, well, doesn't that say something about us? uh, Know our own immaturity. It takes humility, doesn't it? Uh, Growing as a Christian, not about not being about what you think, uh, but about humility before this word that has come to us in the scriptures and proclaimed to us. It takes humility. And perhaps on reflection, um, you realise that, you know, you're always talking about your own opinions. Maybe it's in home group or just in conversation, wherever, that really your desire is to say what you think is reality rather than to hear what God is saying in his word rather than what he's actually saying. Perhaps you just realise on reflection, in a moment of sort of reflection, you realise that you're, you're always focusing on other people's immaturity and not your own. Um, growing in maturity means growing in our humility before God's word, in our understanding of our own uh, immaturity and our desperate need to grow. It means growing in humility before God's word, change in its lights. All of us, friends, have different backgrounds and different ideas about things and beliefs. A mature Trinity South Coast, a mature church here, brings it all back to the word uh, and is ready to change beliefs and practices and things we might have held dearly and had long battles over in the light of Scripture in the light of God's revealed word to us. A mature body is ready to give that up if it can be shown that Scripture teaches something different. Know your own immaturity. But that's not all, friends. That sort of will just, if we stop there, that, you know, lead us to 
uh, a morning of disappointment and um, depression. It's, no, it is, you, we need to uh, know our own immaturity. But the second thing I think is key is to know the glory and the goodness of your head. The glory and the goodness of your head. The glory of Jesus. That is our motive for our holiness and growth. Or uh, we are to live a life worthy of the calling we have received to be brought into his body. The one who is over all and through all and in all. For whom all, all things were made. The glory of our head. But also his goodness. He gives the precious gift of this word, this message about Jesus for you, for us, for his body to grow deeper in. He gives us each other to serve each other and to speak this word to. He gives us each other to grow in holiness with. And uh, this key, I think, to growing up, know, both knowing your own immaturity and also Christ's glory and being ready like a child in this sense to receive his gifts, thankfully and eagerly, his gift of his word, being trained by it. In this community, loving each other and united around the gospel as we seek to serve each other and live lives of holiness worthy of the calling we've received. Those two things, I think, are really for us, coming out of Ephesians 4, are critical for helping us to grow. I just want to... Um, I know uh, I, this is my second... I'm about to finish. Uh, I really am after this because we're going to change gear a little bit and just uh, think about the ways in which we're going to do this as a church into the future. Um, uh, uh, our life together is more than programs, okay? Our life together under God's word is... Uh, but it includes programs and things and plans and some of the uh, plans and things we, thoughts we've been having about next year, particularly over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about them and... Um, uh, by the end, uh, I'm hoping to, to sort of write something, <laughs> so you'll have details in writing, but just to give a bit of a broad brushstroke to get us all sort of on board and uh, excited about um, growing up in maturity as we live together and move into next year. Um, uh, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time next year in two books, which I think were really um, critical for us. The, the first is... The Gospel of John, we're going, to, we're going to actually start this year in the Gospel of John, working through that uh, over a few, a couple of different sort of chunks. We'll make our way through um, a part of that in our time together. Really important um, way in which we can hear this word uh, as a community. The second what we're going to do is uh, into next year, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time, the most time in the year actually, uh, in the book of Romans. We're going to work our way through Romans chapter 1 through to 8. And I'm really looking forward to that, a chance to go deeply into this message, into this word of the gospel uh, as a community. Um, uh, I know there are some among us who have already memorised the book and I'm going to try and do that, well, maybe one to eight. And uh, that would be a great way. Why don't you, do, why don't you start, well, uh, why don't you start uh, even just now reading through Romans in preparation for next year? Uh, we, we don't want to um, go through our life together and not taking every opportunity to hear this word, right? And to hear it together in community as we serve each other. So Romans next year, look forward to that. Home groups, uh, again, like I said, uh, as in this attempt to 
for this word to dwell richly among us as a body of Christ, uh, not just on Sundays, but through the week as we meet together and sort of think about its implications. Uh, home groups will continue next year, and our hope is to increase the number of groups and really to start spreading home groups through across the, the South Coast. Um, so if uh, uh, becoming a part of a home group is something that you'd like to think through, I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, and maybe not even only the South Coast, but uh, sort of other places as well. We'll see what God does for us. The only other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of next year is, uh, uh, and we've talked about this before, our desire as a church to see new congregations, new churches planted. Don't worry, we're not planning a church next year. Um, uh, but we are, that, that is our desire, right? If, this, if what Ephesians 4 says is true, if the word of the gospel is our life, uh, if it comes to us, through the apostles and prophets, is proclaimed through evangelists, uh, and it's taught in local congregations gathered around his word, um, then the planting of new local congregations that are faithful to this word, that will uh, live in the gospel together, is just so important and critical, isn't it? And that's, uh, So we, we, are, we do want to keep that on the agenda, thinking through the best ways to do this, when and where and how, and uh, again, love to chat if you have ideas about that. But friends, that was my last, last bit. So we, we do need to finish up. Um, uh, hasn't it been really great to hear from God's word this morning about the way in which he does build his body, um, all to do with this word of the gospel. So I think what we're going to do now uh, is uh, sing in response to that. And Steve um, will uh, lead us in that. Thanks, mate.